This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com while Brent jostles with his headset. I'm Brendan, the pod pinhead, and because I don't have a scene to talk about today, I'm going to do a now-playing-post podcast style. Joining me tonight is the aforementioned... This is Brent from Virgin Worlds. And Brent's been playing a lot of the same stuff I have recently, and as you know, if you listen to Virgin Worlds, has many interesting observations about the games, so we should have a good time talking about all of it. As always. First off, none other than Echoes of Fadeweir. The third expansion for EverQuest 2, which I have been playing just about exclusively since it came out on the 14th, and I have been just loving the hell out of it. What about you? It is the expansion that has got me back into EverQuest 2 full bar. No doubt about it. And, and, and the thing about Fadeware is that it's content for all levels, because I don't have any characters in the 50 up range, and I don't think you do either, right? No, I don't. I think my top, even when I first started playing, was right around 30 or so. Yeah, so I mean, it's... You know, it's the first expansion that's really even worth buying if you are under those levels. I mean, you could you could get the achievement points or the alternate advancement points in Kingdom of Sky, but they didn't really they weren't all that super wonderful. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider it to be worth thirty dollars. No, whenever I went back to play with other people who had the expansions, the only thing that I noticed was they could do some quick hops using the Kingdom of Sky maps. Right. Yeah. The teleport up and teleport down. Yep. Uh, let's see, so I hit, as I've been saying, been playing like mad, I hit 20 in a week, which, you know, in EverQuest 2 is not totally extraordinary at all, because you can do it in a weekend if you're really dedicated, but in Greater Fate Arc, it's much, much easier than it is in the, the base part of EverQuest 2, because A, you don't have to zone all the time, and B, the zone layout is a whole lot better, and so, and I don't know, maybe it's my imagination, but stuff seems to give more experience. Oh, yeah, I, I really have not been a fan of either Kinos or Freeport from a newbie experience perspective because, for one, they're really hard to get around in. Those cities are just too much to swallow all at once, even for probably an experienced you know, MMO player. But then add on the fact that you are constantly zoning and there's not any continuity in where you're going. I mean, when you go to one of those bells and you click, bring me to the caves, where are you really going? You know what I mean? Right, you, you know, just, no idea. Right, yeah. just zip, you know, and it kind of just it destroys the, the world feel of the game a little bit, and Fadeware doesn't have any of that. It's more, I hate to say it, but it's almost more like World of Warcraft, where everything feels a bit more seamless, even though it's not. Yeah, well, it's definitely a lot more like World of Warcraft, just in the progression, because, I mean, progressing from 0 to 20, whether you're on Kinos or Freeport side, is kind of a pain in the ass once you get beyond 15, but I just blew straight past 15 and, and up to 20 in, in Greater Fade Arc without any trouble at all. Right, and you don't even, it's weird because you don't even have to zone until you hit level 20 probably if you don't want to, and even, you could actually probably go, I wouldn't be surprised if you could go up into the upper 20s if you covered all of Butcher Block and all of some of the outlying parts of Greater Fate without ever zoning, and that sounds strange, makes it sound like, well, you're just using that same zone over and over again, but it actually works really well, and I didn't feel like I was trapped in this one little zone during those first 20 levels. Yeah, it's, it's Greater Fate Arc is just an incredibly well-designed zone, I think. No doubt about it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and and the expansion in general seems to have brought a lot of new vitality to EverQuest 2 also, because you know I see a whole lot of people running around. I mean, I don't think I've been in Greater Fate Arc since it launched without having seen at least two instances of it up and running, and oftentimes three instances. Yep, I'm usually usually three for sure I've seen, yeah. Yeah, and, and it must be selling well, because uh, Adam from WoW Podcast, who maybe I shouldn't name him, otherwise his fans will go nuts, but he was having kind of trouble finding a copy because everyone seemed to be sold out. So I must be doing all right. And again, because it's available to everyone, all those people who might have played EverQuest 2 and then left and didn't have characters over 50 now have a reason to come back and check it out. 
Yeah, and I really like the way they boxed the game as well because they put all of the prior expansions and the original game in it as well, which is genius because somebody who's never played it can walk into Best Buy today and buy one box and have everything that they need. And it's not even a very expensive box. It's only 39 bucks. Yeah. And you've got everything you need to play EverQuest 2, and you're not going, oh, I don't have that expansion. You've got it all. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a just a kind of spectacular deal to get absolutely everything with the exception of the adventure packs, which are kind of optional anyway. Yeah, I bet there was some arm wrestling in Sony finance around that whole idea, but I think it will turn out to be a good risk that they took, a good gamble. Right, and you know, and the other thing too is that I think, one, a lot of the people who were already going to buy the previous expansions probably already had. Also, I think they're charging about $5 less for the digital download version, right? I think it might even be 10 actually. Yeah, and so they, they end up in that situation where the retailers always freak out if the digital download is cheaper than the retail version. So, but if you get the digital download of Fadeware, you only get the expansion. You don't get EQ2, you don't get any of the previous expansions. So Sony was kind of brilliant in coming up with that, that idea of boxing all together. So that way the retailers can't freak out because Sony would say, well, we're giving people more. That's why it costs $10 more. And so they mollify the retailers. They give people who aren't playing EverQuest 2 right now a great option. They give people who are playing it but don't have the previous expansions a great option. And they give people who are playing it and do have the previous expansions a little bit of a break on the price. So, I mean, it's a it, everyone benefits. It really does. They played their cards exactly right in this one. Yeah. The new Newbie Zone is very nice. It's connected to the whole world now as opposed to the old Newbie Zone, which was the, the Isle of Refuge, which you had to zone out. And boy, does it run fast, too. I mean, the Isle of Refuge is... Isle Refuge actually ran kind of okay, I thought, but man, the newbie zone in Greater Fade Arc is just running like mad. I mean, I was getting constant 60 frames per second. Yeah, I, th- I didn't have any, any performance issues at all. In fact, even with my sort of uh, crappy video card, I haven't really had any performance issues with the entire expansion at all. Yeah, Kelethin is a little bit laggy, I will say that. I haven't experienced too much of that, actually, surprisingly. Really? It might just be my computer or something. I've noticed that whenever I sort of get in that direction, I can actually even watch it too. Like, I'll have fraps up, and I'll, when I look in the direction of Kelethin, 25 frames per second. When I look away, 60. Uh, and so it's kind of funny. It's like, oh, I see what's going on here. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, there's definitely more polygons in that direction, but if you compare it to what kinds of uh, load on your computer you're facing when you're in Freeport, it's really no comparison. Yeah, or Kinos Harbor or something like that. It's just uh, a nightmare. Yeah. So, let's see, new zones look amazingly beautiful. They're, they're a lot more seamless than they used to be. I mean, like we were talking about, the whole greater Fade Arc zone is your 1 to 20 experience in a single zone. You never have to leave, which probably is also part of the reason why there's so many instances. But also the new zones have a lot more height, too. I mean, when you, when you look at the existing zones in the old EverQuest 2, you mean Antonica, Common Lands, Thundering Steps, Neck Forest, Enchanted Lands, and you know, the list goes on. They all were sort of like flat plains with little hills in them, that were never really all that tall, and so you never really sort of got the sense that they were these big, sort of large land masses with you know mountains and cliffs and rocks or anything. It just sort of felt like you were just wandering around the plains, and and, and it was just didn't really feel like a place as much as the Echoes of Fade were zones. Yeah, they truly added the third dimension to these maps. They are all about height. There's all kinds of ramps that take you up into the trees, even if you're not a fake character. There's, I mean, I would hate to be a fake character actually trying to level in Greater Fae because there's just going to be a lot more walking. Uh, we get to take a lot of shortcuts as a Fae, but all in all, I mean, all those new places are still accessible by people on feet. It's just a little bit more dangerous. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing too is that I've noticed that for me, I leveled my Fae character up to about twenty, and then I brought my my High Elf character into 
greater Fadark, and I had to remind myself that I can't jump off of mm-hmm. Kelethon anymore. And I'm sure that there's got to be at least you know dozens of people who've just jumped off it and go, oh shit, oh, on the to- way down. Totally. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was thinking if I you know brought over say you know my dirge or my monk or something like that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd be dying every second because I'd be not only jumping off Kelethon, I'd be jumping off everything else as well cliffs and stuff. Yeah, there are a lot of cliffs in there that would be more than enough to, to kill your average character unless they were like a rogue and had safe fall. Yeah, it was kind of funny when Adam was following us around the other day because he's a dwarf, he's running around on foot and <laughs> we're jumping off things and then we'd stop at the bottom of the cliff and wait for him to run down the path. Yeah, and that was fun watching him zigzagging his way down the cliffs in, in Butcher Block. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. I felt kind of, I was surprised he didn't start a fey, but on the other hand he had already gotten his dwarf up to 20 so I could see that he would want to. Yeah. How did he make the trip over from the old lands to the new lands? It seems like it would be difficult, and I haven't tried it yet. Oh, it's actually not that difficult at all. The way to do it is you go to Thundering Steps, and then you can just take the boat to, to Butcher Block. And the road from Thundering Steps, you know, the entrance from Antonica to the docks at Thundering Steps is really safe. There's nothing aggro, mm-hmm. there's nothing high level or anything like that. So it's really easy to get there. That's good. Yeah, I, I went there with my Fury, which was 35 or 36 at the time, and escorted him. Actually, the the difficult part of the escort was through the Butcher Block Mountains, really, because that was where you actually had monsters that were aggro and dangerous, but Thundering Steps was a piece of cake. So it's manageable, then? Yeah, oh, it's definitely really manageable. I mean, you could probably make it there at level 2, and it sure wouldn't be a problem at all. Uh, let's see, Greater Fate Arc, we talked about that a lot already. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It looks to me like they're kind of taking some uh, design lessons from Rhizom. Absolutely. There's gigantic mushrooms all over the place, and it's a lot more vibrant and colorful than the original EverQuest 2 zones. The colors are a lot more saturated, more saturated greens and blues and pinks and yellows. You would think that with all the great graphics that we saw when EverQuest 2 came out, that they would have held up over time, but already the new expansion is starting to really overshadow what we saw when EverQuest launched. However, I don't really think it's a matter of the tech behind it. It's just that they just have gotten better at building their zones. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's completely a matter of them being more capable of doing amazing things within their engine you know, than, than a matter of the engine itself being upgraded hugely or anything. Yep, and there's no doubt about your comment on Rhizom. It does have a lot of that look and feel of some of the Rhizom areas, especially the jungle areas in Rhizom. Yeah, and, and speaking of Rhizom, now that Nevrax is going into some sort of bankruptcy protection or something, hey, Sony, if you're listening, hire the Rhizom artists. They know what the fuck they are doing. They are talented fucking guys, and they will make your game look absolutely amazing. Can you imagine if the next expansion to EverQuest 2 was built by the dudes who did Rhizom? Oh, it would be amazing. It would be absolutely amazing. With that tech and you know Sony money behind them, those guys talent. Would, oh, it would be beautiful. Not that it isn't already, of course. It would be, yeah, but it would just be mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Butcher Block Mountains, that's another zone, because I've only seen Greater Fate Arc and Butcher Block, really, and I think probably the same for you, right? Well, you were in, you were in beta, so you saw some of the other stuff, too. Yeah, I had the beta-buffed uh, character at level 70 with all the gear running around, so I got to see quite a bit of it, actually. Well, Butcher Block Mountains is the only other zone that I've really seen, and I just absolutely love it. It's a lot of rocks. It doesn't feel quite that large until you start pushing around in some of the back areas because there's uh, some hard, just sort of out-of-the-way, hard-to-get-to places in Butcher Block that will help you get to other, let's say, old EQ items that you don't see on the ground in the main areas of Butcher Block. Mm. It's, it, it actually is a fairly small zone if you yeah. look at it. I mean, once you get the full map, I have someone was posting on the... EQ2 forums, and they posted a map and said, is this it for Butcher Block? And someone posted the absolutely, completely full unlocked map and says, yeah, that's it. So I was a little disappointed that it actually wasn't bigger. I mean, that was my 
first disappointment of Butcher Block was that it just looks really cool and I wanted more of it. Yeah, it does look pretty good, but because of all the height and all the little caves and tunnels, it actually sort of enlarges it, even though the actual map size isn't that big. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that having spent a little little time running around in that zone and seeing some of the more tucked out of the way places, there's a bit more content than is immediately apparent if you just look at the size of the map. I'm going to have to go through and explore that a little bit more with my Fury because... You know, most of the stuff in there is what level twenty to thirty range, and so I should mm-hmm. be able to go through there fairly safely. But, but yeah, I mean, there's that does bring me to my second sort of disappointment though was the Aviac platform, which is a very specific thing for me to complain about. And the Aviac platform is, you know, if you're down at the docks in Butcher Block Bay and you look up at the cliffs, and there are those hexagonal things that are sticking out. I actually haven't seen the Aviac platforms yet. Uh, well, if you've seen the cliffs, right, at the docks at Butcher Block. Oh yes, I have. So you know how the cliffs have those hexagonal sort of stones that just hang down? Yeah, yeah. Those are that's where the Aviac platform is. But the thing about oh. those is that I thought it's and it's on top of those. I was sort of thinking when I first saw screenshots of it that those were going to be actually hollow inside. And so that you'd be able to go inside them when you went up there and it was going to be like, you know, a cathedral or something where you're going to have narrow windows within these yeah. within these hexagonal things and you could have the light blasting in so you have the dark areas and these pools of brilliant light and then that would kind of be like the lobby area or the foyer whatever you want to call it and then it would extend back into the mountain and when i finally got up there to do a quest with my fury i realized oh these are just completely solid they're just rocks in a hexagonal shape and you you can climb up on top of them and that's where the aviac stuff is which kind of makes sense i mean they're birdmen they would probably want open sky above them but i was sort of disappointed that you couldn't actually get in there and explore kind of some weird kind of labyrinth like thing right there into the built into the mountains of Butcher Block. Well, based on the lovely description that you just gave of what it could have been, I think maybe yes, we should be hiring the Rizom artists and Brendan to help concept this stuff. Well, there you go. There's a plan. Um, let's see. The bay in Butcher Block is gorgeous. If you've seen screenshots of the expansion, you've probably seen it. It's this large sort of open bay with a couple of islands in it that are connected by walkways and stuff. And it just, it's stunning. It looks absolutely, it kind of almost looks like something out of the Caribbean or something, the way the colors are. It does. It it's does. beautiful. And especially when you get there at sunset or something, the colors are just absolutely stellar. And I like the boats. The boats are kind of cool. It's a shame that they're, you know, the EQ2 Daily guys are talking about this. I do sort of agree with them that it would be nice if they had a little bit more on the boats, you know, that you could mm-hmm. actually go down and, you know, beneath the deck and get a drink or do some gambling games or something. But on the other hand, you know, the the boat ride is so short. For those who haven't played it, it's basically like the boat ride in WoW when you're mm-hmm. traveling between continents. It's exactly like that. So, you know, there's not really enough time to really get down there and, and do anything anyway, which I guess that's a trade-off. Frankly, I'd rather have the fast travel time than, you know, have to go down in the bowels of the boat and, you know, bilge water or something. Yeah, and unlike in EverQuest 1, you don't have to wait half an hour for the boat to get there. Right, and you don't have to do the whole big long boat ride either. It's just, you know, a couple minutes, then you zone, and then another... 30 seconds while you approach the dock. Yeah, it goes really fast. Um, music in Echoes of Fadeware is just amazing. I mean, they, they did some remixes on existing EverQuest 2 tracks, which were themselves remixes on EverQuest 1 tracks. Uh, the loading screen has new music, and they have a whole lot of other new music, too, for, for the new zones and everything, all of which seems to be just amazing. It is, and you can find all that stuff if you pick through your... EverQuest 2 directories, there's a music folder right under the main directory, and all the MP3s are in there sorted out by expansion. 
And you can actually go and click through those and hear how they broke these up so, and then compare that to how they're utilized in game. And it's actually kind of impressive because some of the segments are really, really short. And I clicked on them and I'm thinking, oh, I know that theme. I've heard it a thousand times. But it never felt like it was repeating over and over, but it kind of is. Right. And, and they do repeat. There's, some of them are, are very contextual, too. And we talked about this a little bit, you and me, and on Skype in the past, is that they have a lot more music that appears at certain like locations in the game. So in yep. Greater Fadark, they have the big wizard spires from EQ1. And as you approach them, they play this little audio cue. That that is really just sort of perfect and has the it sets exactly the sort of weird whimsical interesting tone for for this thing that you're approaching and they've got it set up at exactly the right spot because as you're running up the the road towards the wizard spires there's this big route that goes across your your view and so it the music swells and kind of releases at exactly the time that you're coming under the route and you can suddenly see the whole thing in front of you. It's just awesome. They must have planned that sort of thing because it really does work so incredibly well. And I feel sort of bad for a lot of the guys I talk to say they don't play with the sound. They turn their sound off, or at least they turn the music off. And uh, that would be too bad because the music in EverQuest 2 is, I, I'd go as far as saying it may be some of the best music that's in any of the MMOs. I mean, I think WoW's music is also real good. They did a great job with it as well. But a lot of it does get tiring in many games. And this one, I just leave it on. I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, if you were to turn off the music in Echoes of Fate, you'd really be missing out. Some of the older stuff in EverQuest 2, like if I never hear the Thundering Steps theme again, it will be too soon. I hear that, yeah. But I mean, but the stuff in, in Echoes of Fate where so far hasn't gotten old, and I haven't gotten tired of it, so it's I, I really like it. And I have my props to the dude who does it too, because it's got to be kind of a thankless job compared to the dudes who are programming the pixel shaders. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how those people figure into the life cycle of the studios and the games exactly. I often get the impression that those guys are contracted. Like, you know, like, what's his name? Jeremy Soule. Oh, yeah. Who does all the, you know, he everything. does everything. Yeah. I, he doesn't work for any studio. He's a hired hand. And I'm sure that because he's a name musician for this sort of thing, I'm, I'm sure he does very well just floating around and doing all the cool projects. But obviously he doesn't do every game exactly. And yeah. I, I wonder, does Sony have a musician on staff that's full-time that works with this stuff and maybe also does sound effects or something or or is it just is it really just a hired hand that comes in and kind of whips it out i don't know yeah that's a good question i mean it would be interesting to know I mean, whether they hired if they hired the guy he did an even more amazing job because he really sort of got into the spirit of the thing and, and did it just right right the fae the fae are the new character player race in echoes of fadeware and they're totally not gay in any way at all not gay not gay i am in fact the hottest fairy bitch on mistmore server and brent <laughs> is is a close second well it depends on what kind of thing you like you know i might be the hottest but yeah, <laughs> yeah well if you're into fae chicks and you know is it wrong to be turned on by by little three foot tall fairy girls i don't know i don't know well can't be that wrong based on how they're stacked up i don't think it'd be wrong yeah, they're they're fully developed, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. I don't know, there's not much else to say about the Fae. They have these racial traits that give you the safe fall and the glide, which are pretty cool. If you look at the other racial traits, they're just crap. I mean, so th- that's one thing in EverQuest 2, is the racial traits are all so bad. Yeah, they're not very sexy at all. 
there is one thing that's even more gay that I actually do like about the Fae. Mm-hmm. And that is, is that if you do the Fae quests for the Fae, it's like a sort of a Fae discovery heritage quest or something like that. You get the for- shape change where you turn into essentially a Tinkerbell. Yeah. Where yeah. you're just a little tiny, tiny little mosquito bite with wings and you fly around with, and you fly just a little bit faster. And it's actually kind of weird because you zigzag around in the air when you're flying. So it takes a second to get a hang of it. And it sounds, no, it's, that sounds supremely gay, but I actually think it's fun. It is. And I, you know, it's funny. I don't use that all that much because I think the speed bonus is a little bit too low. I would rather they bump that up a little bit. Yeah. I'm hoping maybe there's maybe later versions of it that maybe get better. That would be nice, yeah. Because as it is, it's 5% increase, and all of your spells and everything is disabled. And if you uh-huh. take damage, poof, you're out of it. So, yeah. you know, for that kind of restrictions, you'd think they'd be able to bump it up a little more. The other thing about the Fae, actually, that I really like is the way they go, wee every time they jump. <laughs> it's awesome. The voices for the Fae are great. And I was actually playing around. I broke my Wii because that sounds terrible. I broke my my Wii sound because they actually have a lot of different voices for the individual races, and I didn't even realize that until I started playing around in my Persona window, and I selected one that changed it, and now she goes, uh, every time she jumps, and that doesn't sound like that. So I need to figure out which one was the original one I selected so I can go back to Wii. Yeah. It's fortunately the Fae don't all have all that many. They've only got like three or four, but when I logged on with my High Elf Fury, they had must have been 10 different character sounds. Although it's funny because you can tell that it's all the same person. Oh, really? You know, reading, it in diff- reading the lines in different ways. So you'll mm. have the same chick going, I need help, or I need help. You know, it's like the butch mm-hmm. read and the, and the wimpy girl read. Oh, speaking of voiceovers, that's one thing that some of the work in Echoes of Fadeware isn't too sharp. Yeah, some I, of it's I, kind of, yeah, a little bit yeah. inconsistent. I got the impression that they got a couple of the devs into their podcast booth to do some of those instead of oh, hiring yeah. professionals. Yeah, like there's a couple of uh, like the trees and things like that that talk to you. The trees them- themselves are cool and they talk really slow, but I, I could just, I was closing my eyes and I'm going, yeah. That's that's, that's a Bren programmer. Yeah. That's Bre- hey, that's Brenlo or you know Alan Crosby or, that, or that's 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 Schwader right there. I could just I could hear it. You know I knew it was them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that chick who was on the on the SOE podcast has probably done a couple of the voices. Amy was it? I think. Yeah, I can't remember her name. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. I don't think they outsourced all of this to professionals. Some of it they did. But. Some of it they did. Yeah, some of it's definitely better than others. You didn't like the mushroom guys. I thought the mushroom guys were really cool. Oh, I, see, I kept thinking that they sounded like Brenlo, so that's why I was oh, a little, okay. I was a little put off by it. I like them because they talk like this, and it's, they're very sort of slow and plodding. It's uncanny how slow they are, though, isn't it? Yeah, they're slower than slow. And, very slow, and no one listens to the dialogue anyway, and they just made it like ten times longer. I did listen to theirs actually. So, uh, classes. Let's see. We both started new characters for the expansion. I'm playing an illusionist, which is something I've never done at all. I normally play just melee classes. And so when I went to start my new character, you said you might do a troubadour, you weren't sure, and so I went to the eq2census.com, and I sorted by number of people playing each class from, I guess, 15 to 70 on the server. And I mm-hmm. think Illusionist was third least popular, and so I said, well, I'll give it a try, and the Ponage Brothers loved it. The, the Illusionist class? They Yeah, the Illusionist class. It seems really powerful. Yeah, they were just fawning about it, which almost made me think I shouldn't play it because I was thinking, uh-oh, everyone and their brothers can be starting one. But I guess not. And I went and, and created one, and boy, oh boy, is it fun. Because you just sort of have this experience like, yeah, I, I, I can control the battle. It's not a problem. Yeah, you uh, 
You definitely kick a lot of ass in our battles. There's no doubt about it. It's and it's it's like this complete sense of power, you know. Like that time that you guys were fighting, you and um and Adam were fighting those kobolds, and then another one, like a one-up arrow, kind of wandered up and and added. And I'm like, oh, nice sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you guys polish the other ones off. It's like okay, now we can kill him. Yeah. You know, and it's only when it gets to be like three or four adds, then it, it then it kind of loses out because I only have so many sleep spells. Yeah, and you're doing a nice job at it too. And I have to admit, I'm a little spoiled because back in EQ one, I had an enchanter that was in my static party that we always played with, and this guy was, in fact, actually, you know who it is? It's one of the guys from Granite Games, hmm. and he was just an awesome, awesome enchanter, right? He could just mez like you would not believe, and so I got so used to that. And then for a while, I played a Beast Lord too, and then we also had a Necro in that group. So obviously pets galore that could off tank, and so it's like oh ads oh well if you can't mez if you can't keep five of a mez man we can just off tank him with our pets such as sick a pet over there and be like all right he'll take care of it yeah so I was a little spoiled but I, I was glad to see that the illusionist had that same kind of power that I remember from EverQuest one because when I first started playing EverQuest two the group I was in had a we had a coercer and the guy was extremely disappointed in the coercer and yeah. honestly it, it really didn't seem to do the trick and so i don't know if there's been changes to it or if you're just that much better at playing it it's hard to say but it seems to really be working yeah and i I don't know what the differences are between the illusionist and the coercer but but yeah so far i mean and this is only level 20 i mean i've been rocking pretty hard and apparently they just get better as time goes on so illusionist definitely for the win um and you're playing a monk you started a monk when you created your little hot fey bitch yeah yeah, you know that, and that's not a departure for me. I've played bruisers and monks. Probably half of the characters I've ever made in EverQuest Two have been bruisers or monks, and so I really went with a very common theme for me. And I don't know why, because I, you know, I played a dirge recently. I've been playing one on Venicor, and I'm really liking it. But I figured, well, you know, that's kind of a group character that I have for Ponage Knight over there, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure that that would be my primary mode of play, playing in a times two raid all the time, so I made the Monk, which is something I'm familiar with, and why did I do that? I guess it was sort of a comfort thing for me, because I know that class pretty well, and to be perfectly straight with you, I don't actually know a lot of the classes in EverQuest 2 very well. Right, yeah, well, it's hard, I mean, there's, and, and the differences are very subtle, too, between, like, what's the difference between a, you know, a Paladin mm-hmm. and a Shadow Knight, it's like, well, one is good and one is evil, and then there's a few other differences besides, but it's like, mm, it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, I wanted to try Necro, but you can't make evil Necros. Yeah, and you still can't betray the um, the Fae. Right, so I can't make a Bruiser either, which I'd rather have than a Monk, but I like the Monk too. So I guess, um, let's see, anything else to talk about on Echoes of Fadeware? I like let's it. See. Talked about the graphics, talked about the sound, gameplay. I don't know, I still like the gameplay. I think that EverQuest 2 is pretty much on par with WoW at this point, with the exception of the zoning, which is just not ever going to change, so you got to kind of live with it. But I mean, I think as far as actually playing the game goes, I would say it's as much fun as WoW, at least for me. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think that if anybody that's a WoW player today went and picked up Echoes of Fadeware and started a new character in Kalathan particularly, they would be blown away by how it looks, assuming they have a graphic card to run it. And most of them probably do by this point because it isn't quite as difficult as it used to be. They're fairly inexpensive too, yeah. Right. I mean, you can get a a $50 graphic card does the trick now. Mm -hmm. And... The gameplay 
from the expansion side, if you're starting in Kelvin, is actually a lot like World of Warcraft. It's the progression, it's the the smoothly directed, but yet not completely on rails feel. But they definitely train you in and get you up to speed. It is a lot like World of Warcraft, actually, and I think that they struck a nice balance between the, I don't know, that little bit more hardcore free will style that EverQuest has been known for, but still tied in the, hey, let's ease into it, like World of Warcraft. Yeah, and that that was something they definitely nailed, was the, the progression is a lot smoother in EOF, and we talked about this, but that's one thing that I think that people who either played EQ2 at launch or just never played EQ2 at all will find appealing and very easy to get into, because it does feel a lot like World of Warcraft when you're playing it now. Absolutely. it's It, it definitely does. I, I thought that the entire time I've been playing this first 20 levels. Yeah. So, Echoes of Fade, we're an amazing deal. You know, you go out and play it. It's $40, as we said. The entire game, Echoes of Fade, we're Kingdom of Sky, Desert of Flames. You have two options if you want to go all the way from 1 to 70. Going through the new stuff, going through the old stuff, it's all there. Huge, immense amount of content for your $40. So, um, you know, if you're a WoW player and, and you want something to play while Blizzard tries to figure out how to ship software because they don't really seem to have a good handle on that, <laughs> then I recommend Echoes of Fade, Absolutely. Okay, also playing. Now this one, uh, you haven't really played this, have you? So, I have not, but I will certainly probably have some questions for you along the way. Uh, Guild Wars Nightfall. This game has probably pissed me off more than any MMO has in quite a long time, leaving out the Korean games like Lineage 2 and stuff, which I just despise. That's a pretty bold statement. And I think it's because I really I want to like Guild Wars a lot, and I should have every reason to like it, except that Guild Wars seems to hate me. You know, I was playing Nightfall, and, you know, I even went on there, I was talking with you about it on your show, and, and I was saying, yeah, I'm really liking it, and it was going really great. And then I got to the Consulate Docks mission. Mm-hmm. Now, for those asking, the Consulate Docks mission is the fourth mission out of 20 in Guild Wars Nightfall. And okay. as of tonight, I have failed it at least 20 times. Wow. Yeah, exactly. ArenaNet, what the fuck? Now, and the thing about this quest is that it's basically a gate quest. There is absolutely no way to continue progressing in the game until I finish it. And I've done every single, and I shouldn't say quest, it's a mission, right? It's one of those regular, quote-unquote, formal missions in Guild Wars. I've done every single other quest I can find in the entire area accessible to me, with the exception of the master quests, which are kind of like heroic quests or epic, not epic, uh, elite quests in WoW. In other words, you can't do them. And until I finish this mission, I basically cannot do anything else in Guild Wars Nightfall at all, because I'm completely stuck. I'm not a Guild Wars professional. I don't, like, play it all the time. But, you know, I'm not a noob either, and this is just completely ridiculous. Uh, It's not just me. I was on Amazon, and I saw a review complaining about that mission specifically. There was a a game review site that was complaining about that mission. I went on Google tonight and searched, and I found thread after thread in message boards where people just cannot finish the mission at all. And, you know, inevitably, whenever someone gets on one of these message boards and says, hey, I can't finish console docs, sure enough, some, you know, smartass comes up and says, well, that mission's actually pretty easy. Well, it turns out, upon reading that people who had gone through the mission earlier went back and tried it again, and the mission difficulty was fucking increased by ArenaNet. Oh. 
And so I don't know if it was always this hard, and maybe this is just people's imagination, or if they for some reason decided they should go in and fucking make it impossible to finish this mission. But why in God's name would they do that? I mean, I could see it if it were the like last few missions or something in the game, and they were saying, okay, we're going to make these hard, and you're going to have to kind of make that final push. That would make sense. But this mm-hmm. is the fourth fucking mission. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm 15% through the game, and already they're saying, fuck you. You can't go any further. That's pretty rough. I mean, fourth mission. I mean, you know, the first game wasn't nearly that hard, I didn't think. No, it wasn't. I mean, I never finished the first game either. But you see, the thing is with the first game, I, I went through it, and I went through it, and I went through it, and I got to the first mission past Drachnar's Forge, which is after you ascend. And so I was probably maybe two-thirds of the way through the game. But by that time, the fact that I couldn't finish it, I didn't really mind all that much because I had played so much that I really kind of felt like I had got my money's worth. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, when I'm 15% through the game and I can't go any further because it's absolutely impossible, that's just a fucking screw job. And I don't know why Arena had thought this was a good idea, especially since people have been saying Guild Wars Nightfall is the game you should get if you're new to the franchise. No, it's not. I mean, that's the thing is that if I'm getting completely screwed over like this, imagine what people who haven't played nightfall at all are going to experience i mean for me it's like getting fucked in the ass but you know gently getting fucked in the ass with lube but for people who are completely new to guild wars it is being like raped in the ass in prison with the biggest fucking cock in the land and your blood is the lube <laughs> it's ridiculous that sounds, pretty is this a situation where you're not high enough level or is, how does how these missions work from a level perspective are they automatically matched your level or how does that work well, in this one, it seems to be geared for mid-teens, like 15, 16. I am now 18. I started when I was, I think, 15 or 16 trying to play it, and I failed it, and I'm still failing it at level 18. And the henchmen are all 15, but when you zone in, they give you this buff that buffs your armor to the maximum, buffs your health to the maximum for your class. So presumably it shouldn't even matter whether you're kind of level 10 or level 15 or level 20. So then you, you're supposed to go through the next 16 missions after this, and you'll already be max level, so you kind of don't get any better during that time? Well, it, the buff is just for that mission specifically. Well, I mean the buff, I mean, but if your level is already 18 and you're only 15% of the way through the game, isn't the max level 20? Well, then you'll just be sitting at level 20 for the next 16 missions? That I guess so, yeah. Kind of, it's, I know that that's sort of maybe how Guild Wars has worked in the past as well, but it seems kind of silly because then you're progressing through these missions and you don't feel like you're getting any better because you're just stuck at this level. Right, that's a good point. I mean, Prophecies was like that. Prophecies was where you started out, and by the time you got out of the pre-searing Ascalon, you were probably level 8, level 10 tops. But, you know, with factions, apparently, by the time you left Newbie Island, you were level 20. And so there's no real way to progress and make it harder by having higher level mobs. And yeah, a lot of the monsters in this mission are level 20. And then the captains, or the elite monsters, they're all level 24. Oh yeah, when I played a little bit of factions in the preview week, I walked outside the city gates and I was immediately mobbed by 20th level mobs. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, and you know, I've I've certainly done difficult things in Guild Wars before, so I'm certainly not a noob. I finished the Althea's Ashes quest, which was, for those of you who don't remember, it was a quest that was early on in the post-searing Ascalon stuff, and the original version of it was just ass-poundingly difficult. It was unbelievably difficult. I finished it! And they eventually they fixed it, but I finished it before that. And, you know, people who are hardcore in Guild Wars know that that mission is a fucking nightmare. Villainy of Galrath, the most infamous mission of Guild Wars Prophecies. I finished it. Piece of fucking cake. Absolute piece of fucking cake. I think I died, like, once, twice, trying to do that mission. Not a problem. 
this this mission in Villainy of Gaurath wasn't even a mission. It was a quest that was like five zones away through you know swarms of level twenty mobs, and mm-hmm. it's not even remotely as difficult as this mission. I have no fucking idea what the problem is, and it seems to obviously vary a lot for people because some people seem to have little to no difficulty with it, and some people just absolutely cannot finish it. Are you doing this solo with henchmen or in heroes? I'm doing it with various combinations of henchmen and heroes. Sometimes I try to use all the henchmen, sometimes I try to use or all the heroes, I mean, because you can have up to three of your own heroes in the group, and sometimes I just use the only the one required hero, and then everyone else has henchmen. Is the expectation from ArenaNet that you're going to do it with other people instead? I don't know. I mean, that, that's, to be honest, I don't, maybe it is. You know, and, and I never group with other people in Guild Wars because they're all fucking retarded. Because mm-hmm. you know, pickup groups are just a fucking nightmare. I don't have a guild, so I don't have anyone that I can say, hey, can someone help me out with this mission? So I pretty much stuck. Well, I, you know, Lady S and Sean to the rescue, maybe. Maybe, if they're listening. I don't know. I mean, I put out an SOS last time and got nothing. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You did, didn't you? I did put out the SOS. Lady Sinea, where are you? Where are you? Help me out. This is a good point of contrast between a game like EverQuest 2 or WoW or City of Heroes slash Villains and Guild Wars is that this shit does not happen in those other games. Because no. one, you don't have these sort of gate missions that make it impossible to progress anywhere else in the game. And two, it just doesn't make sense within the context of the level system. I mean, it would be like in EverQuest 2, say you're playing level 7, no problem, level 8, no problem, level 9, no problem, level 10, boom! Everything you mm. try to attack kills you immediately, gray and up. Yep. You know, it just makes no sense. And so that doesn't happen in those games. And, you know, it shouldn't happen in Guild Wars either, but for some reason they decided that instead of having a kind of smooth progression of difficulty, that they were just going to make it immediately impossible. Yeah, that's the thing with other MMOs is that, you know, if, if I usually if I, like, go somewhere that I, I get a quest, for example, and I go somewhere and it just schools me, right? Mm-hmm. I pretty much just say, ah, that's my fault. I'm yeah. not high enough level. I need a group to this for this one, and I'm not blaming the game at all. I just go, well, I'll come back with that later with some group of friends, or I'll do it once I'm a couple levels higher. But it sounds to me like what they're just doing is putting up a brick wall to stop your progression. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, you know, gaining levels apparently means nothing because they've tried to engineer the mission so that no matter what, you're still going to get, you know, fucked over just as well. Yeah, it's no good. And, you know, and then you would think that they would be smart to recognize that this is a bad business thing too, right? Because, I mean, people who, who play this game and who are new to Guild Wars and then just get completely smacked down, are they going to go buy the next next Guild Wars expansion? Why would they? I mean, if I, you know, if I am never able to get past this, I'm certainly not going to buy any more Guild Wars games. Why would I? I mean, if this is what, it would be like going into McDonald's and saying, hey, I, I'd like a Big Mac. And then they give me like a third of a half-eaten like Big Mac and then the guy jumps over the counter and punches me in the face. <laughs> and then, you know, after being punched in the face, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going go to go back to McDonald's again. Right. And so right. it's the same thing with this. It's like if the game is continually punching me in the face, well, I'm not going to keep buying them. Yeah, it almost sounds like, uh, it reminds me of RPGs from back when I was a kid. You know, those, I mean, think about games like, mm, now throw it like Bard's Tale or something like that. Remember how hard those games were? I mean, some of them were really challenging, and there was puzzles that you just couldn't get past. And honestly, I can think of a zillion games that I just, you know, I never finished, and I probably didn't buy the next one when it came out if I didn't finish the one before it. Yeah, and you know, and they're supposed to be entertainment too. I mean, this is not freaking. I mean, if I wanted to be whipped, I could get, I could pay good money for that in, in real life and get whipped. Yeah, but I mean, it shouldn't be punishment. Yeah, and Guild Wars has a different paradigm where 
in some MMOs, if they put up a brick wall to say you need to, like, for example, go to the Plains of Power and have Quest 1 where you had to have the flags to go to each plane. Mm-hmm. Now, that was sort of a brick wall. You had to kick some major raid mobs in order to go on to the next level. But you knew it was possible eventually, and, and you'd get there. But that game was one of those ones where you could go somewhere else. You could do many different other raids. You could keep progressing, keep getting gear, and so forth in some capacity. But Guild Wars is a little bit more like a traditional RPG where there's there's a there's a storyline. Yeah, exactly. You get you have options in the other games. You don't have those in Guild Wars. Right. Uh, Heroes. Actually, while I'm bitching about Guild Wars Nightfall, Heroes. You know, I thought that Heroes was going to be a really cool idea, and then I tried them. Don't like them? No, I don't like them at all. And I'll tell you why. Because I have enough of a pain in the ass equipping my own character and setting up their skills and thinking around with their skill points and moving their skill bar and stuff. I don't want to do that for like a dozen other characters. Too much to manage. It's too much to manage. And especially, again, for a person who is, at best, a casual player of Guild Wars, I don't really want to spend my time with that. I mean, what I think they really need is they need the option to set your characters, your your hero's equipment, and your hero's skills, and your hero's skill points. If they gave you the option of doing that, but also had a button that says, just do whatever makes the most sense at this level, that would be Mm -hmm. fine. But they don't have that. Basically, if you're going to use the heroes, you have to level them up, and you have to get them equipment, and you have to you know, get them set up with their skills and their skill points and everything, which is just a pain in the ass. And that's why I just basically quit using the, the heroes. Sounds like a time sink. It is. And it's, you know, again, I guess for people who are capable of, you know, who have IQs like 160 and they're able to run like four characters at once, you know, the people who are like six boxing in EverQuest, mm-hmm. maybe they're able to do it. But for me, it's like I have enough problems just dealing with my own character in Guild Wars. You know, I can barely keep track of what's going on in the battle as it is without having to, like, manage, you know, give commands to three other characters. I'm surprised to hear that. I didn't realize that running the heroes was that complicated. Well, you know, they can control themselves automatically, but you still have to do all the setup, you know, in advance. Right. I hate managing equipment. I do. I mean, it's, and it's even less fun in Guild Wars for me than it is in something like EverQuest 2. I mean, EverQuest 2, I don't love it, but I don't mind it. In Guild Wars, I just cannot bring myself to care. Yeah, I've never really liked equipment management in Guild Wars either. Something about it just doesn't stimulate me. Yeah, it's the choices aren't very good. and Skills, that's another thing about Nightfall. The last thing I'll complain about before we move on and have more negativity. Why in the fuck, and I'm not, this is a rhetorical question I'm not asking you, but why in the fuck do you not get skills anymore from doing quests in, in Guild Wars? Did they just decide that getting skills so that you can actually fight is not a good thing? Because, you know, they've got, like, thousands of skills now at this point. They've got ten different professions. Each of them has, like, you know, 500 skills, and they add more with every new expansion. And I have, at level 18, I think I've had a grand total of about 30 skill points. How in the fuck are you supposed Hmm. to possibly, you know, set up your character and have flexibility to just kind of figure out what works and what doesn't if you're set up with this kind of, you know, stupid paucity of choice? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so Guild Wars Nightfall, the game I really want to like and am just absolutely incapable of doing. So, yeah, not thrilled. So do you still have that uh, trial key? For Nightfall? Yeah, I've got it. You want me to send that to you? I might need to give it a shot and show you how to do that quest. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) You can level up and we can give it a shot. Who knows? Let's see. Console launch. Hey, some new game consoles came out. and Who bought them? eBay people. That's it, yeah. So the Sunday morning that the Wii came out, I didn't really check out the PS3 lines because, frankly, I didn't give a shit, but I went and checked out the Wii lines early Sunday morning because 
on Saturday night, late, late Saturday night, I kind of got gadget lust, which is pretty much the only reason I ever buy these things. And so I went to check out the lines, and I checked out a Circuit City and a Target, and creepily enough, they're the exact stores that Raf Coster took photos of a few hours later and posted up on his blog. And that creeped me the fuck out when I saw that in my feed reader that morning. You could just see, you could just run into him at McDonald's someday. I might. I mean, apparently he li- he must live in the neighborhood. I mean, literally like down the street from me somewhere. Oh, I'm sure that all of the all of those guys all live near you. I mean, I'm sure that SOE is in the building next to you and everywhere. I mean, because they're all right there. Yeah, they must. I mean, that's probably yeah. I probably do have uh, Brenlow or someone living in my complex or something. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, are there offices about 15 minutes from your place or something? About that, yeah. Yeah, so they're so pretty close. Surely. Let's see. Speaking of the new consoles and some of the old ones, the game lineup just flat out sucks. I mean, the Wii lineup sucks. There's one game anyone wants. The PS3 lineup sucks. There's one game anyone wants. And the DS what lineup is that? for the PS3? Yeah. Resistance Fall of Man? I don't even know anything about it. I, the only game that I saw on the list that I kind of rung a bell with me was the new SOE title. Oh, yeah, which got reviewed very poorly. Yeah. It looks like it's all right, but yeah, the reviews are not... Not too great. Yeah, that was the one that I saw when I was at the block party a couple months ago. Um, the Resistance Fall of Man is just another shooter set in the, I guess, 1960s or something in some sort of Shoot. alternate thing where aliens attack. Shooters on a console. Yeah. Why even fucking bother? I know. Yeah. yeah I don't... And the Nintendo DS, which has received a lot of love, but i just like to put this to rest. The Nintendo DS and the games fucking suck. Actually, the DS is fine. The games just fucking suck. There is no reason mm-hmm. to play any of them. If you buy Mario games or Zelda games or Pokemon games or anything, you're an idiot. And Mario Kart, I've seen I, all this love for Mario Kart on the DS, and I just want to put this to rest right now. Mario Kart on the DS fucking sucks ass. Anybody who likes this is a complete retard because it's slow, it's ugly, and the controls are shit. I mean, I've, I'm safe then. Yeah, exactly. You're safe. Feel fortunate that you were never going to be tainted by that game. Because I played that, you know, and I had it for a while, and then I sold it on eBay because it sucked so bad. And when I was playing it, there was never a time that I played that game and I didn't think, wow, I wish I were playing Burnout on my 360 right now. It's faster, (laughs) it looks better, and it's way more fun. So about the only thing that I will say positive for Mario Kart is that it has a a bunch of tracks to race on, most of which are ugly and small and not really impressive. So... Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about the Wii lineup in that one game that everyone wants, Zelda. Zelda Uh is not innovative, and it sucks. You want to know what Twilight Princess is like? The new Zelda game that's coming out for the Wii that was just ported from the GameCube and so it looks like shit? Well, if you've ever played a Zelda game before, it's like that one. It's just like Wind Waker. It's just like Zelda 64 and fucking Zelda on the Super NES and Zelda on the Nintendo Entertainment System. It is the same fucking game over and over and over again. You play a little shit named Link and you save the world. The end. (laughs) Did you expect something different? No, but I'm just sick and tired of hearing these people call it innovative because it's not. Who are these retards who are saying that Nintendo is innovative? They are pimping franchises. Nintendo is pimping franchises that are decades old. Zelda is the same game that it was four years ago, is the same game that it was eight years ago. And then all these people go on and say, well, Nintendo is so innovative. And then they go and buy fucking Mario games. Hello! It is the same fucking franchise. Pokemon, Zelda, they're the same fucking games. They are, and you know what it is? It's it's the short attention gamer types who are now raising their kids on those same titles that they grew up on. Maybe, and you know, and if it were the uh-huh. kids playing it, that would be one thing. The problem is that it, you know, a lot of it are the adults. They're the people who gaming play... Steve, gaming Steve, gaming Steve, gaming Steve. 
They're the people who played all of these games when they were kids, and they're playing them again as adults and saying Nintendo is so innovative. How are they innovative? They're re-releasing the same game with upgraded graphics. New Super Mario Brothers, for instance, it's the same game as Mario for the Super NES. It's got yep. slightly better graphics. The level design mm-hmm. is a little bit better, and there's some you know some interesting new features that are you know kind of minor. The save system sucks, by the way. But, I mean, it's not like some kind of revolutionary innovation in platform gaming. It's a Mario game. It's just like all the other Mario games. Yeah, it's just like when, you know, I played Frogger on the Atari 2600, and then I bought it for my PlayStation when I first got that, and I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. No, it was the same thing. It's the same game. Just like the Xbox Live Arcade on the Xbox 360, the people went, man, I can't wait to play Smash TV. Why? (laughs) Did you not play enough of it when it came out, like, 30 years ago? I mean, shit. (laughs) I know, I bought one of those little things you plug into your TV directly that has all the games built into it and has some of those old Atari-type games on it. And all it was, I played them for 15 minutes. I went and I went, ooh, River Raid, and I played it. And I went, okay, well, that's the same River Raid game I played uh, for hours and hours and hours when I was eight. Exactly. I mean, there are people saying, man, the classic games were were just amazing. They're great. Yeah, well, if they're so fucking great, how come people aren't still playing them? Mm -hmm. There's a reason that no one plays these games anymore. It's because they sucked. Yeah, they were fine at the time when we didn't have any alternatives. But, I mean, you put that shit in the context of something like EverQuest 2 or World of Warcraft, they look pretty fucking pathetic. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing with Nintendo is I don't really have ill will toward them because, for the most part, they're, you know, in comparison with some of the other consoles and the console releases, they really haven't missed too much, and they seem to know how to get their hardware out the door, and they they never really, you know, just totally fuck over their audience. You know what I mean? They shoot people pretty straight. And they seem to have the capability to do these releases. I just wish that they would actually, oh, I don't know, do something interesting with it. They come up with a new idea or a new franchise once every decade? Yeah. Yeah, Nintendo. Okay, so, moving on from Nintendo, there's that console called the 360, which is still around. And, you know, those of you who have been reading the forums, both of you, uh, may be wondering what I've <laughs> played on the 360 in the last couple months. And the answer is Jack fucking Squat. And that's because the Xbox 360 lineup sucks just as much as the Wii and PS3 lineups. Now I'm not gonna. Really? Oh, it does. I mean, I'll. I'm not gonna go through this whole list. I have a list of 20 games that are in you know, the top 20 on Metacritic, and the vast majority of them, I would say probably 98% of them, are of zero interest to me. We've got like 98. 98% of them are Tom Clancy games. 98% of them are Tom Clancy games. And you've got fucking you know EA Sports games, which hello, it's the same fucking game every year. Why do you keep mm-hmm. spending sixty dollars year after year after year for this? Dude, I need to get the roster updates. What do you fucking care? Viva Pinata, which is apparently just amazing. It's the next Mario. I, I guess. No, I'll tell you what it is. It's the next Pokemon. Because they're going mm. to make five versions of it that are going to all have exactly the same characters <laughs> except for one, and they're going to charge you 50 bucks for each of them. Nice. You got puzzle games, and, I mean, Gears of War looks all right. Oblivion was great. And you've got a bunch of shit shooters. Burnout Revenge was really good. And everything else pretty much just flat out sucks. So everything else is Tom Clancy. Everything else is Tom Clancy. You've got Dead or Alive Four, which is the worst game that ever you know in the entire series. Dead Rising, which was apparently really cool, except they forgot how to program the save system. Fuck! Oh. I have written save systems in my life. It is not that fucking hard. I don't know what they were thinking with that. Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which has somehow managed to find its way into the top twenty of the Xbox 360, which is just the saddest fucking thing in the world. And you know why you would play Marvel Ultimate Alliance when you could play City Villains beyond me. Tony Hawk's mm-hmm. Project 8, I mean, fucking more World War II shooters also, it's just a disaster. Mm-hmm. Fear is out there now, but of course, 
Fira's up there, except it apparently that's kind of got mediocre reviews. Um, yeah. Even the PC version. Well, the PC version, everyone said, this is amazing, but I don't know. I mean, it seemed like it was another shooter with system requirements that, you know, people said, oh, man, it's the benchmark for, like, testing how powerful your system is. Why? I mean, Far Cry looked way better than than Fear, and it didn't have nearly oh, the yeah. system requirements. Yeah, well, I totally agree. I feared, you know what fear was? Uh, they they did push the envelope a little bit, but they pushed the envelope in a bad way because they didn't make it look good. They just made it hard to run. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, my machine played it, but I don't think I got the the maximum out of it. And the thing that bummed me out about fear was just I thought I was maybe, I don't know, a third to the halfway through the game. All of a sudden, oh, look, I'm at the climax. That's kind of like Halo 2, the game that they never finished. Yeah, I mean, I walked around a corner and I was like, that's it? Yeah. I, and that seems to be the trend these days, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, yeah, well, we're right at the climax. Okay, tune in next time. Fuck you, finish the game. Yeah. Maybe I'm too, too too spoiled on MMOs where I'm used to, you know, breaking myself in on the first hundred hours. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, fear, I, what, I played it maybe ten hours. Yeah, maybe, and then you finish it. You know? Yeah. And then I gave it to a buddy. I was like, here, you like this. Yeah. yeah. It's just... And so... Consoles, I mean, PS3 has no games. Wii has no games. DS has no games. Xbox 360 has no games. Why the fuck do game consoles exist exactly? I mean, can someone remind me? Because I love game consoles as a concept. I think it's really nice that they look really cool and they sit there under your TV and look awesome. And, you know, you don't have to set them up or install drivers or uninstall drivers or anything. But, you know, if this is the fucking software that they're bringing to the table, what is the point? Yeah, I mean, you know my story. I haven't actually owned a console since the PS1, okay? Yeah. So it's been a while, and why is that? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, it's it's really simple. Is I have not had a reason to buy one because I don't go and buy a console because I want to have the console. I could give a shit about that. I, if I'm going to go buy the console, it's because, oh, I really need to play these five games. Yeah, and see, that's the smart move, yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, I can't walk into a store and say, I need to play these five 360 games. I mean, you know right. what? I'd love to play, say, maybe Elder Scrolls Oblivion, right? You know, But the problem is is that, well, I just play that on my PC. Yeah, and plus, I mean, the cost of a decent video card is going to be less than a 360. Right, and, you know, I wanted to play Fear. Well, guess what? I went and I bought it for 25 bucks at you know, GameStop. So I kind of covered myself there. So why would I... The only thing that's going to keep, get me to probably go out and buy a 360 is, say, Age of Conan comes out or something like that on the 360 and I want to give it a shot. Yeah. I might go buy it for that, but I'm, but I'm probably going to need to see more than just one game like that because what if I get that one game and it sucks? And well, it then sucks. I want at least... Yeah. yeah, I want... So it's, it's all about the titles, and unfortunately they're not selling me with the titles, and it sounds to me like they're not selling you with them either. Yeah, I, I just don't know who is buying these games. I mean, because it's just, it's the same game being sold over and over again. And I guess, you know, I suppose there's some irony in that considering that we play MMOs, which, you know, certainly people have made that <laughs> argument. But Oh, oh yeah, I, I'll buy that. But still, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, at least MMOs are new, right? First-person shooters have been around since, like, the fucking Stone Age. And, you know, I mean, at least MMOs are relatively recent phenomenon, less than 10 years old in a, any meaningful way. Yeah, you know, and the irony to me is that they pushed on the 360 thus far. A lot of the big titles have been first-person shooters. Yeah. I mean, what do we, you know, I mean, make a list. I mean, it's it's a lot of the ones that were the big kind of like AAA titles were all shooters. And sorry, but you know what? Shooters are made for the PC. And, you know, there's going to get a bunch of console gamers who say, Ooh, dude, Halo rules, man. No, fuck that. You know what? I mean, there's nothing that Halo's got that any of the pick, I don't even care, pick a second-rate 
shooter on the on the PC, and it's going to blow the crap out of Halo as far as fun and and competitiveness. So, I mean, there's a reason that all the competitive things, like you know, with, with fatality and stuff, it's a reason the PC is the, the way they do it. I saw on TV some Halo competition, and it was just laughable because if you look at the action on this, it was a competitive. You know, the super guys—they're all scowling at each other and everything playing Halo, and I'm watching them play, and so undynamic. All they did was hide behind bricks the whole time and, like, pop around and shoot each other. Meanwhile, you watch somebody play, say, Unreal Tournament competitively. Oh, my gosh. It's like, I said, it's spectator sport even. I'll watch and be like, holy crap. You know, these guys are awesome. And it just doesn't translate to the console. So, and yet, the 360, wall-to-wall shooters. Yeah, and why why anyone would play a game like Halo 2 in lieu of a game like Unreal Tournament 2004 is just completely fucking beyond me. I mean, Thank releasing you. any multiplayer shooter since Unreal 2004, Unreal Tournament 2004, seems to have no point. Because I look at them and think, hmm, okay, UT 2004 had that two years ago. What is the point? You know, And they're going to release mm-hmm. UT 2007 next year, and then it'll be another three years before there's any need for a multiplayer shooter again. Oh yeah, I honestly I think that Unreal Tournament gets a a bum rap now because in a way they've invented everything for everybody else along the way, including the technology that it all runs yeah. on, and yet they don't get any love. They don't get a whole lot of love. Everybody's like Quake, Doom. Come on, you know what? Unreal Tournament as a as a shooter blows the crap out of Quake and Doom, and, and not to mention Halo and Half Life on top of it. Yeah, well, it's faster. It looks better. It's more fun. You've got you know the mutators idea is brilliant. No one's managed to copy yep. that. I mean, the technology yeah. is amazing. I mean, the whole fact that a huge portion of their game code is running in an interpreted language kind of proves the point that you don't actually need to write fucking everything in C or assembly anymore, even though people mm-hmm. don't fucking understand that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of shooters, I guess, well, this rant leads into it. Half-Life 2, completely fucking overrated. Now, you haven't played this, I haven't right? played that. Yeah, so, no, thank God. So don't. All right, because I'm thinking maybe it was awesome back in 2004 when you didn't have any kind of frame of reference or something, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's because I've played shooters since then, and so Half-Life 2 doesn't seem as revolutionary. But boy, oh boy, is it just... I mean, I played through it a week or two ago, and it just was not any fun. Valve is doing the same thing with Half-Life 2 that they did with Half-Life 1, which is just killing you over and over and over again. And and (laughs) that's not drama. That's not tension. No. Not like, I mean, Fear had real tension, I think, in it. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that, you know, in Fear, you didn't probably die all that much, right? Nothing like Half-Life. No, and that's the the thing, is that a good game design makes you fear that you're about to die all the time, but in reality, you don't actually die all that much. In Half-Life 2, they just kill you repeatedly until you figure out how not to get killed. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good observation. That's exactly what Fear did, is I'm constantly thinking that something's gonna, like, smack me any second, or that that chick's gonna pop out and scare the crap out of Mm me. But, you know, I... Yeah, sure, I died. I certainly restored my save position, but, you know, I, but nothing like I gave up on... Yeah. No, no, I mean, I gave up on Half-Life years ago because I... Everyone said, oh, this game's great, this game's great, you're the game of the year, blah, 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 blah. And I went and played it, and I went, what? And then I went back to it a couple of years after that and said, okay, I'm going to give it another try, hmm. right? And I still, I got maybe, like, three-quarters of the way through it, halfway through it, I don't even know how long it is. And I went, this isn't fun. Yeah. And I hung it up. It's, you know, and I think that maybe it's the same sort of thing as with, you know, Half-Life 2 is the same as Halo 2, is the same as Gears of War probably, is the same as Zelda, where they get rated high because everyone else rates them high. And, you know, Uh Zelda had this thing that I sent you the link the other day where GameSpot gave them an 8.8, and all of a sudden the fanboys were just fucking enraged! It was the end of the world! (laughs) How dare they give them an 8.8? 8.8 is a good score. That's a great score. Yeah, and so, how dare this is Zelda! Zelda is always a 10! What's wrong with you? 
And so I think it's the same thing with these games. Half-Life 2, you know, anything comes out of, oh, man, it's just the best. It's amazing. You know, like you can play Deathmatch and stuff in it, too. Gee, really, is it as good as a Deathmatch in Unreal 2 Tournament 2004? No. Not even close. Yeah, and Half-Life 2, it's just, it was so incredibly mediocre in general that I, I can't even think of all that many things to complain about. I mean, it was just this big, long slog through a bunch of dying and reloading that just was not even fun. The Alex chick, and this is that chick that you see with the jacket on. It's kind of a, sort of vaguely Asian features that you see on all the promotional yep. stuff. Why did people like her? I don't know. I, she didn't do anything for me. But, I mean, I didn't play the game, but when all the stuff I've seen, I, I was like, I don't know, she seems fine, but I didn't think anything of it. Yeah, I mean, she looked okay with her clothes on, but, you know, as they say in Canada, she never got her kit off. And whenever she showed up in the game, it was always just, like, going to be a fucking nightmare for me because I have to stand around for 20 minutes while she goes and dicks around with some computer to try to open some doors or something and swarms of bad guys come in and fuck me over. I mean, seriously, it was just ridiculous. Every time I saw her on the screen, I said, oh, shit. (laughs) Because I knew that that's what it was going to be, is that they were going to lock down all the entrances and exits, and I was going to have to sit there while 50 guys came running at me, and I had to gun them all down, and Alex goes, just another minute. (laughs) <laughs> by the end of the game, I was so pissed off at her that every time she appeared on screen, I just reflexively shot her in the head. And I just can you can you actually hit her? No, and that was why. But I was just hoping against oh. hope that w- just once she was going to go down, and then that would be it for the end of the for the rest of the game, and I wouldn't have to to deal with it at all. And at the end of the game in Half Life Two, there is this scene where you're going off. I'm going to completely spoil this as much as I can remember, just to just because I hate the game that much. There's this part where the um, the kind of happy sort of bearded guy at the beginning who's giving all the propaganda is going to appeal to the alien benefactor types to turn him into an alien or something. And so he's going to use this black hole thing in order to do it. And you have to go and stop him. And so you get into this elevator to go down and Alex kind of looks at you through the glass with her hands on the window. And people were saying, Oh man, it was so sad. What was it? The PC gamer podcast or something or no, it was the, it was the One Up podcast where John Davidson, the, the British guy, said one of the people he knew who was talking about the game said, I wish there was a hug button so that I could just hug her because it was so sad and she was looking at me going down the elevator. What the fuck? She's a fucking <laughs> character in a computer game and a bad one. All she did was piss me off. She was totally undeveloped as a character. She just showed up in order to hold up your progress so that guys could come and fuck you over. And it was absolutely completely undeveloped as a character. You met her about half a dozen times through the entire game. How could you give a shit about her at all? Oh, I'm glad I didn't play this one. Yeah, you know, if you see it for maybe like two bucks in a discount bin, give it a shot, and you can see for yourself exactly how completely mediocre it is. Oh, if it's really cheap, I'd definitely pick it up, because, I mean, that's what I did with the first one, because, you know, I was an Unreal Tournament player, and then I played online, or I was an Unreal player, and then I was an Unreal Tournament player, and then everyone's like, oh, Half-Life, 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 Half-Life. And so I saw it really cheap, and I went and picked it up, and I went, huh? Yeah. So I guess it would be a similar feeling with Half-Life 2 then. Pretty much. I mean, the only moment in Half-Life 1 that was any good was there's this helicopter that's been chasing you for the for a couple hours in the game time. And you finally get your hands on a rocket launcher and you blow up the helicopter. And it's really satisfying. That is the single best moment in Half-Life. Right there. That sounds like a good moment. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, And so I should have known going into Half-Life 2 that it was just going to be whatever. But I guess you know I didn't know any better. Well, there's going to be more, you know, additions coming out that you'll get to enjoy. Once every 14 months. Did you hear about that? They actually pushed back episode two of Half-Life 2. Yeah. Late yeah, summer. How can it take 14 months to produce, like, two hours of content? I was wondering the same, because I understand that episode one was not all that long. And no. What, I mean, a year to create another 
12 maps or something. I don't I don't get it. It better be just absolutely fucking the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life, considering how long it's taking. I mean, and this whole episode of content, I mean, it's basically a way to screw people out of more money for less content. Oh, yeah. It's, it's basically their goal is to make you pay 100 bucks for the game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sell five episodes at 20 bucks a pop that, you know, grand totals to be about 10 hours of gameplay. Yep, but they get it out of you in small chunks, so that way, you know, you don't feel the pain all at once because they can't, could just put a $100 price tag on it. But. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's... You know, and when you think about it, I mean, 10 hours of gameplay, $100, that's $10 an hour. That's mm-hmm. pretty fucking expensive. I mean, there are people who say, man, you know, with games, you know, you're getting a much better deal for your, for your gaming entertainment dollar than you are if you go to the movies. Well, not so much anymore. I mean, not, not in that kind of case. I mean, for EverQuest, that goes a fade wear. $40 and you've got literally thousands of hours of content. Absolutely. Stellar fucking deal. But mm-hmm. for, you know, $20 for two hours of content? No. Oh, yeah. When, you know, when I bought Fear, it was just after last Christmas because it came out about this time last year, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was 55 bucks yeah. in Best Buy. And I was, you know, I really, for some reason, that one, that one got me wanting to play it. And I think it was partially I listened about it on the PC Gamer podcast, and and I read about it, and I was like, I want to play this one. And I don't do that very often. You know me, I kind of stick to what I do. And I kept looking for it, and it was 55 bucks, 55 bucks. And then I walked into GameStop, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, it's an, it was actually an EB that was you know right during the conversion. Right. And they had it on the shelf for $25. And I grabbed it, and I said to the guy at the counter, I said, is this price right? Because this game's 55 bucks everywhere else, you know? And he goes, I don't know what the hell's going on with the prices with all this merger stuff. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll buy it. And he goes, okay, sold it to me. I'll tell you what, if that game would have been 55 bucks when I finished it, I would have been pissed. Super pissed. I would have been pissed. But, you know, that being that I paid $25 for it, I was like, eh, okay, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And that's, I think, with Half-Life 2, that was why I wasn't all that pissed, because I got the... Game of the Year edition, which was $30 for mm-hmm. Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Deathmatch, Counter-Strike, which I never have any intention of playing, mm-hmm. and I think a couple other things, too. So, I mean, at least I wasn't paying full price for it. That's not too bad. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the PC Gamer podcast, because I want to give a little shout-out of love, in the midst of all this hate, to the Games for Windows radio podcast, formerly the CGW radio podcast. I just love it. Mm-hmm. They're doing a nice job. They're doing an amazing job. I mean, I, I like the One Up Yours show a lot, but I, I listen to the, the GFW radio podcast every time, every week. I just love it more and more. I love the, the people. They're interesting. I love it when they make fun of, you know, nerds. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's really good. They're fun to listen to. They do a really, they do, they do do a really nice job. And Jeff Green is, he's an excellent, excellent podcast host. Yeah, he is. And it's just, uh, I love it so much. I mean, and when was it the uh, when they were slamming uh, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic and Battlefield twenty one forty two? It's just you know, and I love a good rant as as much as anyone, and so I think that was just damn near perfect. Yeah, and they don't take too much care editing themselves, despite you know all their affiliations with One Up and Microsoft, and they don't they kind of just say whatever. Yeah, they're pretty raw. So and not raw in the sort of I drop my glass of water on the floor and now I'm going to take off my headset while I go and try to find it. No, they're very professional. No, yeah, it's high quality sound too. Ziff Davis has really been all about the podcasting stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed because it's surprising for a company that big to give so much, uh, so much of a leash. You know, let so much line out yeah. for those people that do do that show. And meanwhile, you know, their main facsimile PC Gamer to me is just getting worse and worse every show. Oh yeah, PC Gamer. It's I stopped listening to that. I think I stopped listening to that even before we did the podcast review. Oh, yeah. The, this last episode was 
freaking horrible. They took a a seven and a half thousand dollar machine down to the Metreon and pulled somebody out of line and said, if you sign a contract that says you'll never own a a PS3 ever or never be given one or anything like that, then we'll give you the seven and a half thousand dollar machine. And of course, you know, 12 guys said, I'll do it. Who wouldn't, right? And uh, they considered that a huge win. And then they got into a huge argument with Gary Whitta, the, you know, the English guy on the, on the podcast. And they basically argued for an hour about whether or not that was a win or not. And it was really lame. And then they argued about the Wii for hours on end. It was just, I don't know, their whole podcast is going down, but we're kind of off topic now. Oh, sorry. Well, (laughs) but we are. I mean, it's, it's good to have the contrast. PC Gamer podcast sucks, which is why I'm not going to give you their URL, but the games for Windows podcast is gfwradio.oneup.com. And so you can go there and download all the episodes and subscribe. And it's solid. Yeah, it's really solid. And there was something else that I wanted to say about in the context of podcasting. We were recently on another show. We were recently on another show. Actually, I had that for my notes for the wrap-up, but we were. We were on the WoW podcast at wowpodcast.com. And actually, if you don't look at the front page, well, you're a jackass, but um, <laughs> but if you if you don't look at the comments on the front page, yeah, I have a link to that too. It's at wowpodcast.com. And we did a big roundtable about World of Warcraft with you, me, Ryan Vernier from uh, Massively Online Gamer at mogarmy.net and Cladere, who does... Uh, wow add-ons and then also the three hosts of wow podcast yeah it was fun yeah that was cool okay so let's see after having alienated pretty much every single person listening to this podcast i guess that pretty much wraps it up and god damn it i wish i could remember what i was going to talk about in the context of pc gamer podcast and expensive gaming rigs and the ps3 Mm. this is the longest falcon twin podcast ever (laughs) Oh yeah, this is going to be long. It's it's going to shrink a little bit, but not much. So anyway, if you were alienated and traumatized by this podcast, you can email me via the link on the homepage. You can post something on the forums about how traumatized you were. Some of the music provided tonight was from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. My thanks to Brent for joining in on this review fest and, in my case, rant fest. Feel free to plug your site. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, of course, I'm from virginworlds.com, where it's all MMO stuff all the time, and you can, of course, always hear Brendan over there on a relatively regular basis as well. Yeah, the source for MMO news and not taking gold farmer ads, you assholes. No. Okay, so I guess that does it for tonight. Will you do the honors? So there. <laughs>